welcome everybody to another episode of Travel Is Your Business. We are recording from Voyager in New York City, which is a community hub for travel startup founders. Pretty exciting interview uh, lined up ahead of us today. Our guest is Christina Gerdovich, Managing Director of Travel and Leisure Magazine, as well as Food and Wine Magazine. So that essentially covers all all of the cultural aspects of travel, I would think, in my opinion, uh, and uh, can't wait to get your opinion on it, Christina, when we come back, because our episode starts right now. Hi, I'm Christina Gerdovich, and I am the managing director of the Travel, Leisure, and Food and Wine brands. And what I love about travel is it brings the world closer together. For me, I love every travel experience I've ever had, the good, the bad, the ugly. I love traveling with my family. I love traveling on business. I love long trips, short trips. I love all of the education, all of the fun. I love the people I get to meet. So I love it all. I love travel. From New York City, this is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry with technology thought leader and community builder Pavan Ball and growth strategist Peter Crisdale. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Travel Is Your Business. My name is Pavan Ball, and I am joined here with Mr. Peter Crisdale. Hey, everyone. And, of course, Tamara Wood. Hi, everyone. And today, our guest is Miss Christina Gerdovich. What's going on, Christina? Well, I'm excited to be here. It's nice to meet you all. We're yeah. excited to have you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, so let's, um, let's start here, as we, we like to do. Give us kind of an overview of who you are uh, and what you do uh, professionally over at Travel and Leisure and Food and Wine magazines. So I am the managing director, which is a title that most recently was referred to as the publisher, which means you oversee all of the advertising sales and all of the marketing. I've been there for 20 years. The majority of the time I've been there, I've actually worked at Food & Wine. Uh, I started in marketing, and then I worked my way up, moved over to sales, and then oversaw marketing and sales. And even when I wasn't working at Travel and Leisure, I was always working very closely with Travel and Leisure because Food and Wine and Travel and Leisure are sister brands. And I know, Samara, I see you shaking your head. You know what I'm about to say, which is food and travel are two sides of the same coin. Um, And so recently I took over Travel and Leisure. There had been some changes in uh, the way our company was structured, the way media is structured. And there's a lot of overlap in the advertisers that run with the Food & Wine brand and with the Travel & Leisure brand. Good deal. Well, can't wait to dive right into that. But first, I want to remind our audience, uh, just some quick housekeeping. Uh, Do follow us on social. That's Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Uh, As well as you could listen to this episode along with past episodes on travelisyourbusiness.com. So let's start here. How the hell did you get the best job in the world? So I started at Food and Wine uh, a little over 20 years ago. And at the time, the job I started with, I thought was the best job because 
I had been to the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen, so right, so it actually starts with some travel. And I had been to the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen a few times with some clients that I had worked with. I had uh, worked at an advertising agency, so I had been to the event. And when a friend, colleague, acquaintance of mine uh, went over to Food and Wine, she hired me to run that event. And so I did that for several years, and I thought that was the dream job. And then I moved into the marketing director, which I did for several years, which I thought that was the dream job. And then about 10 years ago, I took over as publisher, which is overseeing all of the sales and marketing, including the oversight of the Food & Wine Magazine Classic in Aspen. And uh, and then several months ago, I got to take over Travel and Leisure, which, as I mentioned, I've always worked very closely with Travel and Leisure because travel is such a big part of the food and wine lifestyle. Um and, and that's how it happened. But, but even further back, how did you get introduced to, to food and wine for the first time? So I was working at an advertising agency, uh, now KB&P. At the time, it was Kirschenbaum and Bond. And I was in the PR department. And I was working on all of the wine and spirits accounts. So wines from Spain, Hennessy, um, some other uh, Grand Marnier. And at the time, right, so imagine 20 years ago, the Food Network is just barely coming out. And chefs are not really celebrities yet, right? Everyone knows who Julia Child is, but um, other chefs like Bobby Flay and Mario Batali um, are not on TV yet, but they have great restaurants. And with these products, we were doing a lot of things at events, and that was my job to activate these clients at events. So I had been to this Food & Wine Classic in Aspen, uh, which was, you know, everyone's, like, that was the boondoggle everyone wanted to get to go to. Well, and it still kind of is, right? It completely Perpetuated is. Perpetuated by Top Chef. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I had been a couple of times, and I think that gave me a leg up on the interview at Food & Wine, because when you're interviewing for a job to produce the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen, and you've been to the Food & Wine Classic a yeah. few times, um, that helps. It's also a nice notch of validation. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the ad agency, were you on those accounts by choice? I mean, sometimes when you start an ad, at an ad agency, you just get assigned to whatever client they have available at the time. So when I started, um, so this has nothing to do with travel, but it's a pretty interesting story, um, or at least I think it is. I um, was hired to work on specifically the Hennessy Cognac store um, account. Okay. And the reason I was hired for that was I had done some freelance guerrilla marketing. And so if you if you can like try to remember what was going on in the early 90s, um, guerrilla marketing was a term that nobody was using. And this team at Kirschenbaum Bond was way ahead of their time and sent out groups of people to bars and restaurants to make a scene anonymously, make a scene and get the bartenders to make these drinks with Hennessy Cognac and then create, basically create demand, right? right? So we created demand. And so I was doing that as a side gig and, you know, cause I was young and I didn't have any money and what better way to make some money, but get somebody to buy your drinks. Right. And so through that, I met the team at Kirschenbaum and Bond, and then I was hired to actually work in that department. And then my job became to organize those guerrilla marketing things in different wow. states. Wow. And, and of course, that's a strategy used pretty often now. I mean, if you're going out on a big, you know, holiday day, like, you know, Halloween or Saint if Patrick's it's Fourth day. of July, St. Patty's Day, whatever it may be. You, you end up having all of these different liquor companies activating right. groups of folks. And so it's interesting to see that this was the ground level. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, Kirschenbaum and Bond has done a ton of amazing work. Uh, Richard Kirschenbaum and John Bond, again, way ahead of their time. And this team that I worked on, 
you know, again, these are terms that everybody knows now, but we were doing integrated marketing and that was something that, you know, I don't want to say nobody else was doing it. I'm sure somebody was doing it, but um, it wasn't as uh, ubiquitous as it is now. So you're describing your career path as very uh, linear when in reality, I'm sure that it took a lot, <laughs> I mean, a lot of hard work and a lot of late nights and dedication to, to get where you are. I mean, yeah. So the, um, let's say the, I don't know how many years it was before the Kirschman bond job. Not that many, but it was a series of far less fun and interesting jobs that were, I would say, were not part of a career. Um, they were just trying to find my way. And then uh, the Kirschman bond thing changed everything because it was a, a team of smart, interesting people, and that made me want to work hard and work late nights and weekends. And it didn't matter because you know, that was fun and that was cool. And that was my whole life. And then, um, and then that led to, uh, that led to the role at food and wine, which, you know, at the time I assumed I would go to food and wine. And all I really ever wanted to do was work at a magazine while I thought it was cool to work at an advertising agency. I loved, loved magazines. Um, but I thought I would go to food and wine for, you know, three to five years and that would be a great stint. And then I would go do something else. I never imagined I would be there for 20 years. Well, as a publisher, um, essentially overlooking the ad spend budget, which is everything for a magazine. Um, can you talk about how sophisticated that approach has become with, you know, targeting and data, things of that nature? Yeah. So it's changed. Um, it's changed so much and it, it is changing probably while we're sitting here. Uh, it used to be, you know, it started, we were selling advertising, uh, pages in a magazine and that was it. It was pretty straightforward. You know, at the time, I'm sure we thought it was really complicated. Uh, and then, uh, the World Wide Web was introduced, and then we started selling ads on the internet, which you know nobody really thought was going to work, and we weren't going to be able to monetize it. And obviously, people are still trying to figure How out how much was that budget when it was first starting. The budget to um, to advertise online on the internet. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't remember because at the time I wasn't overseeing it, and it was called. What was it called? It was called, I want to say it was something like New Media. And there was, mm. you know, a department of people that were running New Media. I think that's what it was called. And they weren't the people that knew what they were doing. They were just yeah. some people that, you know, were willing to do it. So I wasn't actually part of that at the time right. um, because it was a separate thing from the magazine. Well, and then several years later, they became... Let me relate that to today. What's new media today in your group? Oh, my gosh. There's so much new media. But um, you sort of mentioned data which is, I don't think, I don't think data is new, but, uh, the way you package it and the way you sell it and how, you know, how deep you can go is, is, you know, the new shiny toy. What type of solutions are you using for that? So, um, there are lots and lots of solutions and, uh, travel and leisure and food and wine are owned by time Inc, which is the, you know, mm -hmm. country's largest publisher. And we reach, I don't know if it's one in two or two or in every three Americans. So the, the scale and the audience of Time Inc. is enormous. And so we've changed the way that we package it very, very much as opposed to, um, you know, we still have many, many uh, very important brands, epic, iconic brands, not only travel, leisure and food and wine, but time, fortune, money, real simple, Sports Illustrated. And now what you can do is you can buy those audiences across the entire company in a much more efficient way than, you know, you couldn't do I mean, you could do it in the old, I hate to say the old days, right? That makes me sound really old. Um, well, the old days but, is like three years ago. Three, yeah, yeah, three weeks ago. Yeah. So um, it's just a much more sophisticated, uh, it's a much more sophisticated way of selling now. Are there 
areas that so data is used to guide informed decisions. It's not replacing the decision maker. So essentially, you being the decision maker, you're getting um, this data funnel that essentially raises flags in different categories that says, okay, this is something that we need to focus on or, you know, and then make an analyzed decision from there. What are some of the categories or areas of interest that you're looking for, whether spikes and peaks to actually go ahead and then perform your, your task? Yeah. So I think it really has to do with, um, what the advertiser is looking for. And one of the things that's been, um, most interesting about working on these brands over the years is they weren't all, you know, sometimes people would think if you're at food and wine, it's all food advertisers, or if you're at travel and leisure, yeah. it's all travel advertisers. But at food and wine, it was a very, very diverse, uh, group of brands. And a big part of the reason that I'm involved in the travel industry is as deep as I am is because travel was one of the biggest advertising categories at food and wine. So, um, to answer your question, it really depends on who the advertiser is, how sophisticated they are. Um, you know, I don't think anybody is interested anymore in just brand advertising, which yeah. is, you know, sort of sad. Um, because there will be an entire generation of people that don't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, so it depends on what they're measuring, you know, are, are they measuring, um, you know, room nights or, you know, beds or, or cruises or identify the conversion yeah, first, right? Yeah. And the goal. Yeah. It, it makes so much sense that people are willing to pay more money for food and wine when they're traveling than when they are at home. You know, the idea that, uh, I mean, that's kind of the idea of destination marketing, the yeah. idea of, of, kind of having a destination economy in the first place is people are willing to go out for that fancy dinner, willing to splurge for that extra bottle of wine when they're on the two weeks of vacation that they have every year. Yeah. The, um, the, the word that we use to describe that is permission, okay. right? Because it gives you I'm sure it's not treat yourself. I, I, I don't, I've, I've been looking for a word to, a, a phrase to coin. Um, but maybe that's it's it. A treat yourself it, moment. Oh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. But what I was going to, what I love about it is it's not just about, you know, you're on vacation and maybe you've splurged on the hotel and, or maybe you're going to go to a nice restaurant. There's all kinds of research that shows people spend more money on all of the things that they're doing when they travel. Yeah. So, um, and if you're a traveler and I should say, you know, caveat this, the, the travel world that I, you know, get to play in is luxury travel. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but this is specific to that people who are doing this kind of travel also spend more money on, you know, fashion, beauty, technology, uh, well-being, not only when they're traveling, but when they're home. So they're a particularly good customer. So do you have like watch brands? Or yeah, there's, yeah, there's like all kinds of luxury brands. brands. There's luxury fashion brands. There's, um, you know, a lot of the travel advertisers are luxury brands, you know, unto themselves. And right. same thing, wine brands, you know, that are, are um, more luxury brands. Great. And before we go into a break, um, I am staring at some delicious things in front of me. So open your tray tables because it's snack time. Uh, to those folks uh, that are new to uh, Mouth Media Network shows, um, traditionally on our other assets, we... Uh, we request the guests to come in and bring us a little bit of a snack for us to all break bread and enjoy with. And uh, Christina was so kind as to oblige. And why don't you tell us a, a little bit about uh, what you brought in for us? So I brought the famous compost cookie from Milk Bar. Hell yeah, you did. Um, and <laughs> right, so you know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, for anybody that doesn't, uh, Christina Tosi is the genius baker that partnered with Dave Chang, who's 
Momofuku group. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I live in Brooklyn and there's a milk bar above my subway stop, which is, oh, wow. you know, both mm-hmm. good and bad. That's tempting. And, um, so when, when Peter mentioned bring a snack, I thought about, should I bring, should I bring something that's travel related? And then, you know, my, you can imagine the amount. And I thought, what should I do? What, is it somewhere I've been? Is it some, should I make something? So obviously I didn't make the, although I have made compost cookies. I've taken a class with Christina Tosi. I did not make these cookies, but, um, that's the whole story. Well, They're just deal. good. Well, they look yummy. delicious. So while we dive into that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more with Christina Gertovich, Managing Director of Travel and Leisure Magazine, as well as Food and Wine Magazine. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. As well, amplifying your presence at a conference or trade show can strengthen relationships and bring more value to your investment in being at those events. Reach out to the Mouth Media team now at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Let's explore how we can collaborate and make Mouth Media Network a meaningful resource to share your message and grow your business. Again, that's podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Travel Is Your Business. And, of course, we are here with Christina Gertovich of Travel and Leisure. Hi, Christina. You know, you've been said how long you've been with uh, the company. And what I'd really like to know is, over time, what are the things, you know, you've traveled a lot. You said you love it. It sounds to me like you've been traveling uh, for a very long time, probably since you were two or something. <laughs> uh, what's changed in travel? So, um, so first I should tell you, I have not been traveling since I was two. I, um, (laughs) I unfortunately did not grow up in a family where we traveled a lot. We went on one vacation a year and we usually drove to that, um, extremely popular Northeast destination. It was always somewhere different, but, um, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to slam any of the, um, popular Northeast destinations. I went to Lake George every year. Lake George was, okay. Lake George was a great one. Mm -hmm. There were some that were less great than (laughs) Lake George. Um, Wally's world. Yeah. So, um, so not since I was two, but you're right. I do love travel. Um, and I think it's, I think it's changed in so many ways yet. There are so many things that have stayed the same, right? People you can't smoke on airplanes anymore. You could smoke when I was a kid. You could yeah, smoke on airplanes. Yeah. So some have the no smoking signs from see. So some things have ones. gotten better, mm-hmm. right? People think travel is so much more complicated, but that's one of the, what that's one of the better things. Um, I think the way, uh, people book travel is probably the biggest difference. Sure. Right. I mean, when you think about um, there was a time where the only way to do it was with a travel agent. And then um, I, I mean, the the history of online travel agents and what's happened in the last 20 years is fascinating. And I wish I, you guys might even know. I can't remember who wrote the article and who they wrote it for. But there's a his, there's an oral history of online travel agents, which is fascinating. You know, it takes mm. into account the entire Expedia, Travelocity, Priceline, Booking.com, all of the mergers and acquisitions and, you know, how, uh, these people were doing this 20 years ago when we were, we barely, 
we were barely booking things on computers. It's an incredibly complicated backend system at this point, too. And I think it's changed so much, but now because technology is changing so rapidly, it needs to it needs to keep up in a way that. you know, it's hard to keep up with. I, like, I think, you know, I'm in the game and I talk about it every day. And I also feel like I simultaneously hear about a new business that, you know, is an important business that sometimes I, I literally say, I, I don't know what that is. What what are they doing? How do you keep your pulse on innovation? Um, how do I? I don't know if I do. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I do. Well, it, I mean, it's part of your job in some sense, or, or part of the company's role to surface new things that readers haven't heard about, right? Yeah. So I think it's obviously, you know, Travel Leisure is very, very, very good at um, giving you the information first before everyone else, and then also telling you, um, you know, what what we think is, you know, better or best. Um, and then also, if you're if you're in the travel industry, you're getting information from each other. Right. So you're getting it from the clients, from the travel advisors. Um, right. They're not travel agents anymore. They're travel advisors because it's actually a much more um, sophisticated business. And so I think all of those different uh, groups share information with each other. And that's the best way to stay on it's, top of it. It's amazing to me how much of the travel industry is still based on personal relationships. Which and um, conversations and just sharing information with each other. The discovery side of things, you mean? Uh, or both. Yeah. Well, I think, um, right, the, one of the things that I, we talk about and I think is really interesting is what's more valuable than your friend telling you where they went or where you should go? Nothing, Nothing. right? Nothing. Because they know, they know you. They, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. And that's the difference. And that's what makes a great travel advisor because they yeah. would give you recommendations based on what you like, not um, – you know, what they like or what's popular or what they're going to make the most money on. Although right now they're, now they're saying that augmented reality might be able to actually sure. do that for us. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I believe that yet, but. I mean, to be determined, I right. guess, but there, there really is a big play into AR and VR. Um, yeah. Bringing I mean, experiences. That's, that's like the Kindle home. question, right? Yeah. What's the difference between reading a book in paper form and reading a book in digital form. There will always be people who prefer the paper Flipping form. Pages, yep. There's always going to be, I think, a large group of people who prefer to have a real experience versus an augmented experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear about, you know, touching back on, you know, the new media comment that you made with, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the mid to late 90s uh, being the World Wide Web. Now, you know, maybe two, three years back, which of course, is ancient history, we were talking a lot about native content, right, within, uh, Mm -hmm. like, advertorials and things like that. And now you're seeing uh, a shift from, obviously, influencer marketing two, three years ago started also getting very big. And now you're seeing it getting spread over through micro-influencers. How is travel and leisure adjusting to those overall um, industry shifts? I um, I think travel in general... Uh, deals with all of those things in a slightly different way than some of the other industries because the the advertisers and the the partners are more organic to the experience and so it feels less I think it feels less commercial mm-hmm. you know if you read yeah. a piece of native content you know and it's a recipe and it includes a food brand that feels very like mm-hmm. someone sponsored it and they're trying to sell you something. But if you read a piece of native content that's about a destination and the destination is mentioned, that that's feels okay. really, right? Mm-hmm. That feels yeah. really normal, right? So if you read a piece of content about Hawaii 
and the you know the state of Hawaii has actually paid for it, it that usually feels okay because they're telling you about their beautiful beaches and their great hotels and you know maybe the the airlines that fly there. I think it's a um, it's lucky for the travel industry because uh, it's good for the readers, it's good for the users, it's good for the advertisers, as opposed to other industries where it doesn't work as well. And how much of an effort is um, time as a parent company investing in the different capture audiences? So Instagram, for instance, for all their individual assets to develop those out so that they can actually participate in a meaningful way for their um, publishing clients. So I can only speak to travel and leisure and food and wines mm-hmm. audiences, the social audiences, and um, a couple of things. One, uh, the editors were very, very early adopters to Instagram and Facebook and some of the other platforms. So I think that is a big reason that the audiences are so big and mm-hmm. so engaged. Yeah. And then the second thing is, again, it's the content. You know, obviously people people want to take pictures of their food in a way that nobody could have ever anticipated that was going to. You know what's crazy? Um, Takashi downtown in the West Village. It's a Japanese restaurant. Yeah. They, you know, they grill the food in front of you, or you grill your own food. They actually have the lights up top that you right. can bring down to actually take the perfect Just Instagram or shareable picture of the food. That so comes smart, out. right? It's, so it's, it's really it's crazy yeah. to have a restaurant that doesn't have good lighting, and then that means that either people are putting out photos that aren't good. Or right. they're not going to put the photo out because it's not it's not well lit. Yeah, and if you well, look so, at their yeah. hashtag, everything looks professionally produced. That, that brings up a big question for me, actually, which is how much is uh, scarcity and exclusivity valued over uh, sort of universality and, um, you know, how much... How so, much are you wanting to give away, right? Of the yeah, lens? so I mean, so you can imagine a uh, a dinner club in Manhattan that wants to maintain a very exclusive feel. They aren't necessarily going to want everyone and everyone who shows up there taking a picture and saying, um, you know, like, "Hey, you guys should come to this restaurant." Um, it's not it's not as democratic of a population. I don't know if I'm phrasing that right. No, you but. know what? I know what you mean, though, because I um, it reminds me of uh, when we I don't want to say when the web launched because it wasn't quite that long ago. But when we were um, toying between uh, expert content and user generated content and at the time our editors said, we can't have user-generated content, that right? We're all about making it perfect and making it um, look right, which we still are. So I think that's what you mean. You want to, you wanna, whoever you are, if you're a destination or you're a restaurant, you do want to control the content. So I think what you do is you can control what you control. You know, in the, in the example you gave is so smart that somebody would put great lighting in it because that controls more of it. And then you just have to make sure, you know, your dishes go out well and your lobbies look great and your staff looks great. And so, so let me bring up a specific example, which is a, a small place called please don't tell. Sure. Or PDT. PDT, yeah. Right. That to me was a place that was supposed to feel exclusive. Until everyone told everyone. Until everyone told everyone about it and it almost lost its appeal because you knew that anyone and everyone was going to be there. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant name, brilliant everything. But except that everyone knew about it, but that didn't mean that everyone could get in. That's right. Right? You still needed to either know somebody or you needed to like, first of all, find it. Right. Yeah. Find the phone booth in, in the hot. Exactly. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> so um, right. and I think for the most part, uh, 
you know, people, it's a good problem to have if people are trying to find you or you're overbooked or, right? Because let's face it, we're all in the business of making money, so. It's just, you know, we're we're in an economy now where everything is so, if if you have a middle to upper class salary, everything is so within reach um, that it's almost become harder to create an exclusive or unique experience. Right. And I think the flip side of that is that's exactly why um, travel advisors are still in business because they can help give people things that maybe they can't get on their own. Or that's why loyalty programs are so important because they can make you feel special or make you feel like a regular or give you that extra something that you couldn't buy. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important part of it. Do you distinguish between a travel advisor and a concierge? Oh, yeah. So when I say travel advisor, I mean um, a luxury travel agent. Okay. And they, okay. um, the ones that we work with at Travel and Leisure call themselves travel advisors because that's what they are. They're, um, they're working with very high-end clients who are booking um, all different kinds of trips, big trips, little trips, um, you know, for large groups, small groups. Uh, some of them specialize in very specific things. You know, some are cruise specialists, some are Midwest specialists, um, meaning their clients are in the Midwest, not like organizing <laughs> nothing okay. against the Midwest, right? No but, deep um, but so they call themselves travel advisors as opposed to um, travel agents, which are also great, right? There's a, there's a huge business there. And then concierges are just a separate thing that are um, at hotels. So uh, content to commerce shift um, happened like five years ago or so, where content being so powerful, it was driving an insane level of conversion for products right. and experiences or whatever it may be. Uh, how much of an effort is your team putting in onto the content to commerce arena? So I know I see that you could purchase things off right. the website, but how much of a focus is still there? Um, a lot, a lot. I think, uh, I think, you know, people that were in the commerce business are trying to add a lot of content to keep people's attention and people that are in the content business are trying to add commerce because, you know, why just give away all the content and then not be part of the part of the actual booking. So, you know, at Travel and Leisure, there's, uh, there's something called Travel and Leisure Journeys, TNL Journeys, which are bookable trips that are curated by Travel and Leisure editors. Um, you can also buy things that are recommended by Travel and Leisure editors if you're um, on our site. And it could be things like um, shoes or bags or, you know, the best shoes to hike in. And um, there's, a, there's a big business there. Which I think that's what everybody wants, right? All you want is if you're looking at something on Instagram or you're looking at something on a website. I want it. Y you want it. And you also no. want it in two clicks at the most. Yeah, yeah, quickly. <laughs> right. That's true. And, and that is not easy. No. People, okay. people get frustrated or, or um, consumers get frustrated when it's not two clicks right. or three clicks or seamless, quote unquote. There's a lot of technology and work that goes into making that actually happen. Right. When it says link yeah. in profile, if that link in profile doesn't work. Yeah. You're <laughs> yeah, done. done, done, done. Absolutely. I, I'm curious with all of this, these moving parts on how you could work with a publisher, can you walk through kind of the, the journey um, but, uh, while you're developing campaigns and, and a direction for your clients? Well, so the journey is... In a perfect world, I think everybody wants to be part of the entire journey from uh, inspiration to booking to um, planning to being there, traveling. And then now there's another part of the journey, which is sharing, right? And I guess like when we were kids, the sharing was 
you took your photos to the photo mat and then mm-hmm. you brought them home and you showed them to your family, you know, put them in a Throughout photo album. And you 14 show- out of 17 of them. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you put them in a photo album yeah. and then you showed them to three people. Um, but now the sharing part of it is a really big part of it. And I think everybody, and I know, you know, at Travel and Leisure and Food and Wine, we want to be part of that entire experience, right? So we want to we want in a perfect world you would read something in the magazine and that might inspire you and then you would go to the website to dig in a little bit deeper and then somewhere you would book it and hopefully we would be part of that or or one of our partners would be part of that right it could be it could be a direct book at a hotel it could be a destination it could be um, you know a cruise line and then uh, and then the actual travel experience where then in the travel experience you might go back to a food minor travel leisure because now you want to know what restaurants should you go to or what museums should you visit and you know there's endless numbers of lists uh to give you all that information and then like i said the sharing you know putting it on instagram and all that stuff if i can ask how much you didn't wait to see if if you could ask (laughs) but i appreciate you asking (laughs) the the question but i I need to ask the question (laughs) then you can tell me if i'm not allowed to ask it (laughs) is there um are your advertising agreements dependent on attribution? How much of no? Okay, no. Okay. It's still um, it's still Regardless very of much how much business you send to a particular advertiser. Um, same contract. Yeah, church and state. Um, the editors write what they uh, believe they should write about, and the advertisers. You know, we we try to do deals with them where we help them create marketing programs that are not related to the editorial. How much of your business is really a service business for the advertisers? I mean, I would say probably a hundred percent of it. Yeah. I think, right. yeah, it I think you're, yeah. Be. Yeah. What I really liked about what you just said, you know, the whole, from the, the whole process and at the end, what really has changed back to my original question is the sharing part. And what I think is ironic is that, uh, what stopped a lot of people from sharing is the cost mm-hmm. of film. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah, sure. And, and the whole process, whereas now it's instantaneous, so technology has changed travel in that way for better. And well, in, sharing and, and, before and, was on your coffee table, right? Right, I mean, it exactly. was an album. Exactly. Even more so. And, and, and ironically, the sharing and sharing of food, sharing of destination, um, actually, I think, generates more travel. I think it's a, um, if we were diagramming it, right. If we weren't, if we were on TV and we were diagramming it, it's a circle, right? It's not a straight line. So, and the circle for sure, I think I get lots of ideas of, um, you know, if you went on vacation and I was following you and it looked great, I'd call you up and say, or whatever, I'd text you. Cause we're not going to, nobody talks to anybody anymore. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Why are you calling me? I got a missed call from you. And I, um, (laughs) right. And I would want to book that trip based on what I saw on, you know, either your Facebook page or your Instagram page or whatever it was. To some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Envy. Yeah. Have you ever had in like in your travel magazine or even in food and wine, have you ever had readers uh, share their photos, like a section for... Yeah, do you have a YouTube section? Yeah. I think that would be um, interesting if this, you, if you had This hadn't. past um, November was Travel and Leisure's first ever photography issue, which, okay. you know, obviously every issue has lots of great photography, but it was sure a doesn't. user-generated photography contest. And so in this coming year, in October... Um, we'll do it again, but on a much bigger scale. And the idea being that you, that users, um, readers will, uh, submit their photographs. And I think I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think the winner, one of the prizes will be a prize to a destination, but another one of the prizes will be that you can be a, um, travel and leisure photographer for a period of time. Oh, that is really cool. That's really interesting. Now, 
I just want to, I'm curious about this. So obviously the food has a huge impact on travel. Um, the, the food and wine asset has a huge tie into Top Chef. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest, you know, um, Gail being on it as well as, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the prizes has always been the, you know, a trip to go to the food and wine festival in Aspen. Um, how has the success of that show Actually, can you talk about the relationship with that sure. show from the beginning and if the successes were this much forecasted and what its effect has been on the other assets within, sure. so specifically travel? The, um, so it's funny. I recently, I recently told this story um, uh, when Top Chef called us. Uh, so Top Chef is in its 14th season right now. And right? you launched the, with them, right? It was the first. We did. So what, happen- the first right, so what happened was... Uh, Somebody had introduced us. Bravo came to Food and Wine, uh, told us the idea. And, you know, again, this is 10, 12 years ago. At the time, there was not very much reality television on TV. So it wasn't like everybody knew what it was because I always laugh that, you know, if somebody called you now and said, do you want to be part of Top Chef? Of course, you'd say absolutely. Mm -hmm. But at the time, someone called and said, so um, we're going to do the show and we're going to vote a chef off every week. And I remembered thinking... It it just, these models weren't there. I remember thinking... Relative to Survivor, it was probably around the same time. It was, you're exactly right. The only thing on the air, well, not the only thing, but the, the successful reality TV shows were Survivor and, and there Survivor had been... Survivor was pretty nascent at that point too. There had been one se- season of Project Runway. Yeah. One, wow. right? There was, um, MTV was doing Road Rules. That was kind of the Road first... Road Rules and yeah. uh, what's the one, Real World was yep. always around for Right, Real World okay. was early. That was early. So that was so, a com- competition. And yeah. so we had been getting all these, um, we had been getting all these, uh, proposals and turning most of them down. But because Bravo was owned by NBC and, uh, Tom Clickio was involved. It seemed like a, it seemed like it was, you know, worth a try. And so, uh, Gail was on our staff. We sent her in to do the screen test and, you know, she was a, she was a superstar as you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I think anybody will tell you that they could not have anticipated 14 successful seasons of Top Chef on the air, you know, plus some spinoffs and things like that. That is tremendous. Uh, Well, so we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get personal with some off the beaten path questions uh, with Christina Gerdovich of Travel and Leisure magazine. Coming soon, a new podcast called Experience Magic, hosted by AlertTex VP of Sales, Brian Laney, will explore how brands are innovating to create amazing consumer experiences. Hey everybody, this is Brian Laney. I have a customer experience podcast. I grew up in customer experience. Not many people can say that they've uh, spent their entire career and were raised uh, talking about customer experience in fitting rooms talking about uh, customer experience in retail apparel and just look, dissecting every single experience. We've worked with some of the biggest names in retail, doing some really cool stuff, cool projects, amazing people. Um, and one thing that I just always felt was just missing is, you know, we just don't have any place to collaborate and talk openly about the ways that we use technology to create magic. And these are things that are, are important. We can learn from them. And then you can bring some of that magic into your world. This is going to be an experience. Visit experiencemagicpodcast.com and sign up to be notified when the show launches. That's experiencemagicpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. It is time for Off the Beaten Path. And of course, that's when our uh, hosts, uh, quite frankly, 
throw out some personality-based questions at you. Oh, the beaten time. Uh, we don't generally know what we're going to ask before the interview starts, um, but hopefully collected some intel and some some uh, some thread lines to, to pull on. And uh, today we are going to start with... Paging passenger Peter Crysdale. Peter Crysdale, please report to gate two. And our first question goes to Peter. So, Christina, I want to know, what is your perfect travel and leisure journey? So, I think my most recent vacation, maybe it wasn't my most recent vacation, but one of my most recent vacations uh, was to Peru. And it is definitely, I think, will go down as one of my best vacations. My 13-year-old son recently said, do you think that's the best vacation we're ever going to go on? And I thought, that's so sad for you if that's like... (laughs) But yes, yes, I do. Yeah, it's a whole lifetime. And it started because he... Um, We had taken a lot of beach vacations just because that's what we thought we loved. And he suggested that we take more city vacations because Mm. uh, we could learn more things and just do more stuff. Um, Yeah, I think he's smarter than we are. (laughs) And so uh, we had chosen Peru a little bit randomly. We had accidentally bought three nights in Cusco at a silent auction, at a charity silent auction. You know how that that happens, right? You you bid something up and next thing you know, you're going to Peru. And, um, but it was, it was all so great because we wanted to go on a special vacation. We wanted to go to Peru. We wanted to use our three nights. And so, uh, it was very complicated to organize because it's a lot of different cities you go to, but, um, but it was an amazing experience and, uh, it ended at Machu Picchu, not ended, but, um, it culminated at Machu Picchu. And then we went did back the through the other cities. The hike? We did, we did a partial hike. We definitely did not do the full hike. Um, you know, frankly, nobody tells you how scary the bus ride up the mountain is, <laughs> but, um, that and then, one in its own was the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. recently, uh, Nathan Lump, the editor in chief of, so I went last year, uh, Nathan Lump, the editor in chief of travel and leisure went in December and it sort of goes back to the story you were talking about, um, social media because I followed him very, very closely and he did a bunch of things that I didn't do. And I yeah. thought now I need to go back because there's all these other things. So I know the answer to the question was too long. So, um, my perfect travel and leisure journey was my most recent trip all around Peru, um, including Machu Picchu. Awesome. And I love that destination giveaways actually work. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, you win the silent auction. (laughs) Yeah. Good deal. All right. And our next question goes to... Ladies and gentlemen, would passenger Pavan Ball please report to the information desk? Looks like it's my turn. All right. um, You know... Growing up, I spent uh, summers in India with my family, and there would be sights and sounds or foods, tastes, whatever it is, that when I experience them anywhere else, whether it's here in New York or elsewhere, it brings me right back to that moment. It brings me back to my childhood in a specific room, hearing that specific sound, smelling those specific things. What is a unique trigger that that activates a very specific sense that cannot be avoided. Hmm. I think I don't want to say this just because you said you did this when you were a kid, but um I am my family's Croatian and so um I didn't go every summer, but we went one summer for a pretty long period of time. And it was one of the most memorable times of my life. I think I was about nine years old. 
and uh, we stayed in my grandmother's house, which was the house my father grew up in. And we walked to the beach every day. And the beaches were very, you what know, city in Croatia? Um, Zadar and very rocky and very salty. And so um, for me, that's the kind of beach I like. I like a beach that's very um, sort of very hearty. Yeah. And uh, it revolved around a lot of uh, boats and, and fishing and a lot of seafood. And so um, I have very positive uh, memories and feelings about all of those things. Good deal. And of course... Uh Ladies and gentlemen, would the following standby passenger, Tamara Wood, please report to the gate. The next question goes to Tamara. You piqued my interest in the beginning when you talked about um, early traveling, when you said you didn't start it to. <laughs> and you said most of the trips were to, you know, the Northeast. And you didn't seem so enamored of the Right, <laughs> so right. So what was the worst vacation that you had in the Northeast and how did that, that you can laugh about now. Right. And how did that not deter you? Why didn't it deter you from traveling? Okay. So full disclosure at the time, I don't think I thought they were bad vacations because uh -huh. you know, that's what we did. My dad, uh, my dad worked in a factory. He only got one vacation a year. It was the same two weeks every year in July. So that was as far as we, my brother and I were concerned. That's what people did. They went on vacation once a oh, year. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have enough money to get on a plane except that one summer we did go to Croatia, which was part of the reason, you know, at the time, Yugoslavia, that was a big deal that we did that. Um, so they weren't actually bad at the time. The, in retrospect, they just, you know, weren't as obviously fancy as, you know, my son gets to go to Machu Picchu. Like mm -hmm. I was in, you know, I went to Hershey Park and south did, of the border. You know? And yeah. like those are, those they were great at the time, mm -hmm. but um you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was a, you know, I wasn't a world traveler in any way. Mm -hmm. So nothing terrifying or, you know, no, it was embarrassing all, happened no, or... it was all very nice. You know, it was all very nice. Right. We, right. We packed up the station, nice. we packed up the station wagon and we stayed in, mm -hmm. you know, we stayed in a motel and we ate in a diner and like, we liked each other. So it was okay. <laughs> like it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Nice. That's nice. Thank you. For our listeners, what is the best way to either follow your work, um, travel and leisure uh how can people connect with you so i um am on twitter and instagram with my incredibly difficult to spell last name which is g-r-d-o-v-i-c and that's probably the best way so it's at g-r-d-o-v-i-c -I um and so on instagram you know you can imagine i post a lot of as we talked about food photos and travel photos um excellent and if you were to leave our listeners with a final reflection or thought um, encompassing kind of your experience in this world, what would that be? Um, well, I think especially given what's going on in our world right now, I think we've always said that at Travel Leisure that travel makes the world a better place, mm -hmm. but I think the more travel, the better, and it doesn't have to be, you know, long haul or international. You could just take a weekend or a day and go somewhere or visit your own city. I think the more travel, it's just better for humanity. Get out mm -hmm. and do something different. Get out and form some perspective. I appreciate your time. We really, really enjoyed this interview. And uh, for Peter Crisdale. Thanks a lot. Thank and you. And Tamara Wood. It was a real pleasure having you. And for myself, Pub and Ball, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. 
Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening.